All right, good morning. We're going to open with a word of prayer today. And just before we do, if you would, you can take out your bulletin and look at the back or turn to Psalm 47 in your Bible. And we'll open with a couple verses this morning as we begin. So Psalm 47, verses 7 through 9. And uh, be a good way to start our new year. Happy New Year to you. And um, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And uh, how many of you, we'll, we'll take a poll. How many of you were conscious at the new year when they came in? All right, a few of you. That's the ones we got to watch for this morning. And uh, how many of you had been, how many of you had been gone asleep for two hours by the time Midnight, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, several. So those are the ones that will keep the others awake this morning. But Happy New Year to you, and uh, welcome back. If you have been traveling for Christmas, I know we had a number of people traveling. We have some traveling back this afternoon and even tomorrow. Uh, we've mentioned a couple times, from Maine all the way down to Florida, we have people all over the East Coast this Christmas week, and so uh, praying for their safety as they return. And uh, if you're back with us this morning, you weren't with us last week, welcome to you. And uh, before I forget, there is some uh, small Christmas gifts on the back row on the right side. So if you weren't with us for our Christmas Day service, there's a few left. A little journal to walk through uh, Psalms with, and then uh, a couple other little things there with it. And So if you weren't here with us last week, uh, pick up yours, and then after today, they'll kind of be free game. So uh, we want to share those with you. As we get started, look if you would, Psalm 47, uh, verses 7 through 9. I'll read verse 7 and 8, and we'll all read verse 9 together, declaring that the Lord is King of all the earth. And we're going to study a little bit about that this morning from Matthew 13 in a few minutes. Ready? Psalm 47, verse 7 says, For God is the King of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. God reigneth over the heathen, and God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. Altogether, the princes of the people are gathered together, even the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong unto God. He is greatly exalted. Lord, we are thankful this morning that we can come <clears throat> and know that as we begin a new year, uh, the truth is we've marked today as, as a change of our calendars and uh, a, a transition, another year and another number that moves forward, but you sit outside of all of that. Uh, you are not bound by time or space or places or people, uh, by dates or events, but you sit outside of all of those things and you reign and you rule over them all. And so we're thankful that this morning we come and uh, as our lives do sort of a, a mini reset to start the year, uh, that nothing has changed with you. That your reign and your power and your influence, your sovereignty over all has not waned and it will not be challenged even again this year. And we're thankful for that, that we can trust you and that by faith, knowing that whatever comes over these next 12 months, over the next four seasons of our lives, that as we think about it, and as we look toward it, as we plan and as we uh, prepare, even with caution or with joy and rejoicing, we think we're thankful that knowing whatever it is that comes our way, that you are in control and we praise you for that. So in that in mind and in light of that, may we rejoice and praise you today as we read your word, as we dwell on it and the words that you've given to us. 
as we come before you in prayer, as we sing in song and declare your name and your greatness, your worth, uh, we pray that you'd be glorified in it, uh, for this is eternally what we will do when we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. You stand, if you will, we'll sing a few songs, Mr. Young and Mrs. Young down in Florida, they'll be traveling back a little way. This morning, singing well, praising the Lord, declaring as we start the new year, of course, that as Christians, there's hope, not just because the year resets, but because we serve a God who never does. We serve a God who never changes. Look, if you would, in Matthew chapter number 13 this morning, and we will read our text for this morning's sermon there in just a moment. And if you have your bulletin, you can also... Uh, take a look there at a few uh, different things, some notes there for today's sermon, and then some upcoming events. You notice that this evening there's no evening kids clubs or adult classes, and those will restart next week and sort of uh, begin as workers and kids, everybody comes back in town. So no evening kids clubs or adult classes tonight, and a few events coming up throughout the month, later this month. We've had uh, day of prayer or prayer vigil. We've had this before, but it's coming up uh, middle of the month, January 19th. And uh, we gather prayer requests from members and from friends of our church, some family and neighbors even. And you gather prayer requests. And it could be a current need, present need. It could be something that uh, you're praying about for the future, something you're praying about for this year. Maybe something we wouldn't always put on our prayer list itself each week, but uh, something that you would like prayed over in the Lord's blessing on, and we'll take those, and then uh, the church will be open throughout that day until uh, the early part of the evening, and you can come by with friends or family and set aside an hour, and we'll have those requests out. We pray through those uh, requests as they're out here, or if you cannot be here that day, and ask our church to commit an hour uh, to prayer as individuals and couples and families, and uh, so that's coming up. We have a missionary guest coming up, a particular special missionary. This is uh, Natalie McPike is related to the Hibbert. You may remember Natalie uh, grew up part of her life here at our church before moving away. And so uh, they'll be here. They're on deputation to go to Scotland. That'll be a little later this month. And then a, a ladies and a men's uh, activity or fellowship coming up at the end of the month. And so we're uh, kind of excited to start the year in those ways. Uh, if you would, look here at Matthew chapter 13. We're going to read in a moment. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can take one from the seat in front of you. And if you're a guest or if you uh, don't have a Bible that you call your own, then we want you to take that with you this morning. That's our gift to you. And uh, we're going to be studying today in Matthew chapter 13. Picking back up in Matthew, we've been uh, studying it for the book of Matthew, really for the second half of last year. We walked through uh, the first part of Matthew, we are about halfway, just a little more uh, than halfway uh, through the book of Matthew. And so we're going to continue that study now as we start the new year, kind of picking up in the middle of the chapter. And so as we go, we'll remind us, but we've just walked through the parable of the sower or the sower and the seed in which a man goes out to sow and he casts good seed and falls on different soils. And we know that in that parable, uh, the soil represents the hearts of men. And the seed represents the gospel and their response to it. And we're going to talk a little bit about why that was significant. But, but, but as we read, before, just before we read, to lay 
the groundwork. Jesus is confronting his disciples' opinions or their mindset about the kingdom of God. Uh, they all had in their mind what they thought God's kingdom was going to be when the Messiah comes. And so for the first few chapters of Matthew, we're introduced to Jesus and the signs that he's really the Messiah, 5 through 7, Matthew 5 through 7, it's the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaching about his kingdom and what it looks like, chapters 8 and 9, all those miracles, and he's proving his power, this really is the Savior. Chapter 10, there's people that have the opportunity to receive and follow Jesus, and he sends his disciples out, but in chapters 11 and 12, you also have this rejection of Jesus, and that there's people that say, well, he's not what we think the Messiah should be, and so they turn away from him. And now in Matthew 13, Jesus is speaking to these people and he's teaching them about the kingdom, his disciples and those that had been following them, him. And so he's teaching them about this kingdom, that it's going to be different. They expected the Messiah to come, rise to power, sit on a physical throne, and that he would bring all Jews and Gentiles to kneel before him physically and to do it very quickly, that he would conquer and have this conquest of the world and that he would reign and rule and they would reign and rule with him over everyone else in the world. And you can see why that would be an attractive view of the Messiah. They say, well, if we believe in him, when he comes, we get to be rulers and leaders with him. That's why the disciples were constantly arguing at different points in Jesus' ministry about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And so in that setting, Jesus speaks this following parable. There are several parables, actually. He's about to give us six more throughout the chapter, and we're going to look at three of those today. Verse number 24 of Matthew 13. Another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye also you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat unto my barn. Another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Another parable spake he unto them. The kingdom of heaven is likened to a leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. And then notice as we read the last portion of this passage, again, what separates 
the disciples, those that were really, truly following Jesus, and the crowd, the multitude that was just there for seeing Jesus and the miracles. Notice the difference. Verse 36. And Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. The disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. They come and ask him, What did you mean? Teach us further. Verse 37. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed are sent, uh, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then, at the end of the age, shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word and our learning and reading of it this morning. We're going to have one final song today. Philip's going to sing, but he's also going to invite us to sing along with him. I think you'll recognize the tune, particularly to this holiday event and this time of year at New Year. And uh, we'll sing along with him as he goes. Lord, we praise you for your goodness to us. And we thank you for your love. Teach us now. Uh, you have told us, uh, he that hath ears, let him hear. And so we're asking you to give us spiritual understanding, spiritual ears to hear, to understand, and to apply what it is that you have for us today. And we will pray through Christ. Amen. And aren't you glad there's coming a day we can see some of his glory now, but there's coming a day all of his glory will be revealed to us and to all of the world. And we look forward to that day. In fact, some of our passage this morning speaks exactly to that. So if you would, look at Matthew 13 again this morning. And uh, maybe a good reminder, when you first read this passage, I don't necessarily think, oh, this is a New Year's passage, or it really applies to the New Year. But perhaps this morning it is. It's a reset for Jesus' disciples as he's teaching them. And maybe it's a reset of our own minds this morning as we read. Because his disciples were looking around thinking, this is not what we expected. Uh, things are not happening the way they, we thought they would happen. Uh, things are not being carried out the way that we think that they should be. And Jesus is not doing what we think that he should do. And the world is not like what we hoped it would be like once the Messiah came. And Jesus gave them a, a reminder of God's plan. And in fact, he gave them sort of a, a revelation of a mystery that had been hidden to many to this point, and Jesus clarifies it. And so if you would, look at Matthew 13 this morning. If you have your notes there in the bulletin, you can kind of follow along as we walk through. And you see, of course, that this particular passage, like much of the teaching that we find in Matthew, is focused or directed toward God's kingdom. Now, God's kingdom includes God's church, but, but we don't use those terms as parallel. We don't say that God's kingdom is the same as God's church. And so when we see Jesus' teaching of the kingdom of God in Matthew, he's talking about God's reign and rule over all things 
the different ages of that rule. And we're going to see that, that that's one of the things that the disciples were missing is they viewed God's kingdom as the here and right now, that it's either here or it is not here. It's happening or it has not yet happened, one or the other. And the way that they sort of viewed Jesus as the Messiah was he's going to do what we expect him to do, what we think that the Bible, the Old Testament has told us he will do, or he's not the Messiah. That was many people's hang-up. And what Jesus is teaching them is that God's kingdom is not always as mankind understands it, that there are different ages or different periods to it, and that right now we are in this age or this period of mystery and of grace. Mystery in that God's kingdom has not been totally shown and accomplished on this world, that he has not vanquished sin and rooted out all evil and uh, punished and banished Satan, that there is mystery, that it is yet to come, but that there's also grace in this moment, that God has not cut off his kingdom, that he invites people to it. And so Jesus teaches these disciples, and he teaches us this morning, what we can expect from God's kingdom. What the disciples expected during that period of time was very different. So Jesus is teaching them certain facts and certain truths. And he's saying, here is the absolute truth. And then from that, they were to apply and to live their lives in a certain way. And that's a good example for us as Christians. Sometimes I think we try to oversimplify the Bible, or uh, I won't say maybe overapply that we try to run directly to a personal application of the scripture of wherever we're reading without really seeing what truth it is that Jesus or that the Bible is teaching in that moment. That there's times that we say, well, what does this mean to me and how can this change me today? And we run past the truth, the big, broad truth that God is teaching. That's what will change us. So rather than reading a passage and trying to just say, well, what is this for me? Immediately, it will get there, yes. But we first find the truth that Jesus is teaching. And we see that he's teaching his disciples, in this case, truth about the kingdom. His disciples were expecting him to establish his kingdom, bring all of Israel and all of the Gentiles into Jerusalem to cause them to worship the Lord. There would be vindication of the Jews. There would be righteousness that rules and reigns, that sin would be kicked out and all evil would be conquered. But there's a delay. And so as he teaches them, this, he uses this parable to try to explain it. Actually, a number of parables in Matthew 13. We had the parable of the sower a couple weeks ago where we studied verse 1 down through verse 23. And in that parable, you see some, some things that are similar to our parable today. There's a sower, there's seed, there's a field, there's a harvest. And yet he's communicating two different things. In fact, there's, there are some similarities, but there's also several differences. And he's going to explain what those are, and I'm glad that he does. And so we don't try to merge these two parables. They're two totally distinct stories. And there's times that we can get confused with those things, and we read one parable in Scripture in one chapter or one book, and then we read another parable in a chapter in another book, and we see Jesus use same words or same idea or same concept. In this case, there's two sowers, there's two there's seeds in both of these, so they must go together. But that's not always the case. The same way that we could use several different illustrations or several different ideas or concepts 
to illustrate different things or different points. Some, some of it sometimes is based on what we do or what we enjoy or our hobbies or in what way we work. If you work in a certain industry, you may use that industry in terms from that industry in your conversation as you explain something. If you have a certain hobby that you enjoy, it's going to come up and it's going to kind of weave into your conversation. You enjoy sports and whether or not after yesterday you still enjoy sports or don't enjoy sports, whatever it may be, or if your team plays today, whenever it may be, it kind of gets built into our conversations and we can use it as an example or an illustration because it's common to us, but we can use it to apply multiple different concepts or points. But Jesus does the same thing. He is in an agricultural society. So it makes sense that he is speaking in agricultural terms. He's communicating to these people. And he uses seed to illustrate a couple different things. He uses harvest to illustrate a couple different things, sowers. And so let's look at what it is that he's trying to apply from this parable. <clears throat> and as we see it and as we look to it, actually, there's one main parable that we see, verse 24 through 30, the wheat and the tares. And then there's a big explanation, verse 36 through 43, of that same parable. But wedged right into the middle of that is also two other kind of small parables. We're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning on the wheat and tares parables, but I don't want to miss the other two. In fact, they're so simple and so straightforward that we can just kind of glance over them if we're not careful, or we can oversimplify them or overcomplicate them. So we want to apply and look at what it is that Jesus is teaching. So let's look at the three parables that are told very quickly. Notice in verse 24 down through verse 30, he teaches of us of the wheat and the tares. And he says, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Now one thing to note is in, in most of these parables that Jesus is teaching in throughout Matthew, he'll say the kingdom of heaven is like... And then we got to be careful not to just use the next word or the next object as what the kingdom of heaven is. So he says the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man. So we don't think, well, kingdom of heaven is like a man. And so let's compare all the parts of mankind. No, it's, what he's saying is the kingdom of heaven is like this whole illustration that I'm about to give you. And, and so he's not just illustrating the kingdom by a man. The kingdom is represented by this whole parable. The same in verse number 31 and uh, continued down. It's not just by the individual item, but it's by the illustration as a whole. So what is his illustration? He says there's a man that goes out and he sows good seed into his field. That's a good thing. Um, it says, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Now what are tares? The word there in scripture is similar. There's a word called dar a darnel is the actual specific type of it's a weed. So you have wheats and you have weeds. Now the darnel will actually look very similar to wheat. I, could, I should show you a picture this morning. They look very similar until just before they are harvested. They look similar when they first sprout up. They look similar when they're growing and there's green. But at, near the harvest time, the wheat starts to change color and it bends in a certain way, whereas the tares would stand up and look different and distinct. And so he goes out and he sows wheat into his field, but in the same time, somebody else comes and sows this darnel. In fact, they had a very specific word they would use for this type of wheat. And in our kids' ministry is in here this morning, so I won't use the word, but it's a modern 
word that would be used to describe a, a, a child that is born out of wedlock or a child that is born what we would say, what someone would say, an illegitimate son or an illegitimate daughter. They'd use that term to describe this type of weed. And so when Jesus would talk about this, it's very distinct, strong language. So he says you have a good crop and you have a trash crop that's worth nothing. They look similar, but the tear produces nothing. And so this enemy comes out and sows it into his good field of wheat. That was actually a fairly common practice. It's dirty, but it was a fairly common practice. In fact, at this time, Romans had set a law against this. You could be punished for doing this. And so if you had a competitor, you could ruin someone's crop because it would take so long to separate these two from each other. It would destroy the yield that was coming in. And so someone goes out and over it. And then notice what happens. Somewhere along the way, when the blade springs up, and it brought forth fruit. So just before the harvest, it's brought forth its fruit. Then appeared the tares also. It became clear that not everything is right. So the servants of the household came, and they say unto the master, Didn't you sow good wheat into your field? So why in the world is it overrun with weeds? Notice the answer. He says, An enemy has done this. And the servants say, Well, should we go out and try to separate them and gather them up? Notice the response. No, don't gather them up. Don't go try to pull the weeds. Because in trying to pull the weeds now, you will probably also pull some of the good wheat. At the end, he says, we're going to harvest it all, separate it out. We're going to burn what is bad, and we're going to keep what is good. So that's his first parable. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. Verse 31, second parable. Kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and he sowed in his field. Which when it's the least of all the seeds, he says. It's the smallest. If you have mustard seed in your pantry at home, depending on different recipes we'll call for, it's very small. It's minuscule. And notice he compares it to the other herbs, not just other crops, but other types of herbs. Most herbs grow and they're sort of like a, a little plant. They're grassy in some way or a very small bush. Mustard is an herb, but it's different. It grows into a tree. In fact, you see it on the front there of your bulletin, that tree that's there in the background, that is actually a mustard tree that is probably more than a century old. It's big, it's strong. And so notice the description. He says it starts small, but it expands and grows big and strong, and it even provides shelter. Notice the birds come and hide, and it. it provides shelter and safety. Now, this is a pretty easy parable to figure out what he's saying. He says the kingdom of God starts and it may appear small and insignificant right now, but it is going to grow and grow and grow. And there is strength in God's kingdom and the souls of mankind find protection and they find hiding within it. They're going to find shelter within God's kingdom. And so he's, remember, why would this be significant to the disciples? Remember, because Jesus is telling disciples that think He's going to go to Jerusalem, not to die on a cross, but he's going to sit on a throne, rule everyone with an iron fist, elevate the Jews and those that had followed him, vindicate them, and make them physical rulers over everything too. And so when that doesn't happen, well, why are we following it anyway? If this is going to be God's kingdom. And Jesus says, God's kingdom is not what you expect. It doesn't come down in a blaze and with weight, but it grows small and it may seem insignificant for a moment. But soon, 
It will provide protection for all that find shelter in it. And he's speaking, and the same can be true of us today. We look around, we think, if God is true and God's word is true and what he says is really going to happen, why then do we look around the world and find issues and problems and struggle and strife? And it seems like God's kingdom is getting smaller and less significant than it ever has been. That's what it feels like to us. But God's reminding us, no, at the end of the age, God's kingdom will be all that remains. All other kingdoms will be destroyed. All other kingdoms of man will be vanquished. No other rulers but Jesus Christ himself. No challenge to him. There will be no rival to his kingdom. So while it may seem like this is not working the way we think it should, Jesus says, just wait. It will be strong. It will be the only thing left. Then notice in verse 33, another parable spake he unto them. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Now some of you baked, how many of you baked something for Christmas or New Year's or the holiday? You know, there's all sorts of different things that people do. Isn't it interesting? We have feasts at Christmas with cookies and different things. And then I guess the New Year's tradition is like, black-eyed peas and like a small little thing. of It's either because we spend it all on Christmas or we feel guilty about everything we ate at Christmas. And so now we're trying to be healthy on January 1st. Either way, some of you have baked some things. You've made some things. Now, I don't know that anybody has made what this woman did. When it says three measures of meal or three measures, that's about 50 pounds of dough. Uh, if you're eating a big portion, this is bread for about 100 people. So here, and here's the other thing. They didn't have like a lot of catering services in Galilee and Capernaum. Like, like this wasn't normal. It wasn't normal for an individual woman or man to go and bake a hundred loaves worth of bread for people. It, that wasn't normal. They would break in small. But he's, what is he comparing? He's giving this kind of absurd amount. It's a huge lump of dough. And then notice what he says. She put some leaven in it. And what did it do over time? it leavens the entire thing. Like yeast, it would be in ours. It causes it to rise. It infiltrates. You can't separate out and say, well, here's some dough that's leavened, some dough that's not. Now, don't be, we can't be over-confused by this in verse 33 because a lot of other places in Scripture, leaven is spoken about in an evil tone. It's kind of described sin, that sin can get in, infiltrate, and it can kind of take over our lives. That when sin enters into our life, it can, like leaven, it can cause it to the whole thing. Now, leaven itself was not sinful and evil. In fact, the Jews were not restricted from eating it at all periods of time. Just during the Passover, they had to get all of it out of their house. They couldn't cook with it. They couldn't bake with it. And at the Passover, the bread that was there had to be unleavened bread. But throughout other portions of the year, they would use it. So it's not an inherently evil or bad thing. And so the illustration he's giving here, he's not talking about leaven in an evil way. Notice he says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. The kingdom of God is like leaven. How? In that a little getting in can spread and grow a long way. He's picturing here the gospel. That the gospel can be put into something that seems big and overwhelming. But a small amount can eventually spread and take over the whole. He's speaking here of the power of the gospel. That though it may seem small and insignificant, when it is placed into a life, it can radically change an individual life. 
When it's placed into a community, it can radically change that community when it is placed into the world. And eventually, he says, it takes over and it is the whole. And he's saying the kingdom of heaven is like that. You're not going to see it at first. You're not going to notice it. But eventually, one day, Jesus will reign unchallenged and unhindered. It will take over it all. And so when he speaks about the kingdom, here's what he's trying to communicate to his disciples. You may think that right now, Things are not under God's control. You may think that right now things are not going as they should be. You may think that right now things are not lining up the way that they should, but just hold on. Eventually there will be no challenge. Eventually it will take over all. He's speaking of the strength, even though it appears small. And so now let's look, if you would, at the final portion of the chapter, and particularly this wheat and tares. So he explains the, the mustard tree, the leavened dough, we don't have a full explanation, but it's fairly clear what he's speaking there. It's fairly simple. But the disciples come to him in verse 36, and they say, Jesus goes away, and said, or the multitude goes away, and Jesus goes into the house. Several places in Matthew that when he's in Capernaum, it refers to the house. And it's probably talking about, this is kind of his headquarters. He kind of moved and had begun to live in Capernaum when he was traveling and ministering he would always sort of come back to Capernaum as his base and evidently there's a house there that he used or doesn't tell us much about or who owned it but he's going back really to his home and his disciples came unto him and they ask him they say declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field and he answered and said unto them he gives them a very simple explanation and he gives the and I am so glad that he does uh, because when we come to certain parables like this and we're left to sort of interpret, it's nice when Jesus interprets it for us. Now, I read a lot of different commentaries and sections and writings and some different things on this, and it's, it's amazing to me that we still kind of jumble this up at times. I mean, Jesus pretty plainly explained what's going on. Uh, there's a, the, the biggest discussion in commentaries is about whether or not this is talking about the church or the world or, or as far as the field and the explanations. And some people would explain it this way, that is saying that it's a picture of the church and that within the church and within God's kingdom, within the church, there are wheat and there are tares. There are people that are believers and those are the wheat. And But within God's church, there are unbelievers still that are sort of hidden amongst the believers. And at the end of the age, it will be revealed and they will be judged before God because they did not believe and trust the gospel. And while that is true, and while that is something that is going to happen, that there are people that are religious and that kind of stay close to the church or that stay near it but don't fully trust in the gospel by Jesus' grace and faith and repentance alone, that will happen, that at the end of the age, those will be separated out. But Jesus states it very clearly. He doesn't talk about the church. He doesn't really talk. He tells us what the kingdom is. Notice, if you would, verse number 37. And he answered unto them and said, he's going to give us the explanation. He that soweth the good seed is the son of man himself. He's saying the son of man, God, is sowing the good seed. He puts good things into what? Verse 38. The field is the world. It's a I have difficulty running from world to church. But it, it's, it's a truth, but we don't get there from this passage. Verse 38. The field is the world. And so in the world, 
there is God, the Son of Man, sowing good seed. What are the good seed? The good seed are the children of the kingdom, God's people, God's children. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that, has sowed, that sowed them is the devil, literally the evil one. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of the world. The Son of Man shall send forth angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into, the fur, into a fire, furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father who hath ears. Let him hear. So notice you have it there, sort of, we simplify it there in your notes. Here's how, he, here's how Jesus explains it. Jesus is the one that told the parable, so he has the authority and the right to explain it. The field is the world. And in the world, there are two sowers. Jesus is sowing good seed. He's seeking believers, children. There is Satan that is sowing doubt. It's unbelievers. It's those that are children of the evil one. So you have this field that's the world, and in that you have believers and unbelievers. It's a fairly simple picture. Field is the world. In the world, there are people that believe, there are people that do not. The good, the children of God are found and placed there by God himself. But that Satan does have influence and that he, uh, that he does uh, fight against God's kingdom in that way. And so you have the good, the bad, the believers, the unbelievers. And it says that there's going to be a harvest at the end of the age. But notice if we go back to the actual parable, notice what happens before the harvest. And this is the driving point that Jesus is trying to make to his apostles, to his disciples. So when the blade is sprung up, it says when just before it, just as it bears fruit and the wheat bears real fruit and bends down and the tares do not and it stands up, servants look out and they are taken back by how infiltrated the field is, by how full it is of weeds. And we sometimes feel the same way. When we look at the world, we think, how in the world can God's good world that he created, that he sowed into good things, beginning with Adam and Eve and creating mankind in his image to glorify him, he placed us here to have dominion. But in our sin, because of Satan's influence, because of our, then in our sin, the intermingled with good becomes evil. Intermingled with God's good world has become bad things, sinful things. And how is it? Sometimes we look out of the world and we say, we're just taken back by how much the weeds have overtaken. That's what the apostles are feeling like in this moment. Lord, what are we going to do? They're going to take over. The weeds are going to destroy it all. And their first response here is what they think should happen. The apostles say, or in this case, he's illustrating, this is the natural response of the mind. Let's go out and get all the weeds and take them out so that it's only the wheat left. That's their response. But notice what the in the parable, the man that's in charge, the master, and in the explanation, this would be Jesus or God himself, notice their response. No, no, no. Don't go pick them up. Because while you do that, lest you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together, notice this phrase, until the harvest. And this is going to be hard for the apostles, the disciples to swallow. Because Jesus is teaching them, the Messiah has come, and just God has put good things in the world. 
Satan has put evil things in the world, but it is not time yet to separate those. It's not time yet to destroy sin and evil in this world. It's not time yet to remove unbelievers and establish God's believing, all-ruling kingdom. That's not time for this yet. That's coming at the end of the age, at a time, he says, is the harvest. But he says, until that point, notice, he says, let them grow together. And that is hard for us to sometimes comprehend, but Jesus is saying, there's going to be a period of time before the end of the world, before the end of the age, before the harvest. There's a time where believers and unbelievers are going to have to dwell together. And there's a purpose for that. There's a purpose that we are left in this earth, that when we are redeemed and when we trust in Christ, we don't immediately just, boom, teleport to heaven. He's left us here for a reason and for a purpose. And notice, he says, let them both grow together. At the end, the reapers will come, gather the tares. They will be taken off and destroyed, and the wheat will be gathered, notice, together into my barn. They're gonna be, God's going to bring his people to himself. And say, well, great, this is a fairly simple truth this morning. And on New Year's Day, that may be a good thing. Maybe you were up late last night. Let's keep it to a simple truth. Jesus is saying, I put good into the world. Satan puts bad into the world. And both those things are going to be there for a while. But at the end, evil will be conquered and righteousness will reign forever. God will reign unchallenged. That's going to happen. So how do we apply that? Notice, let's look at the application and be done. Number three, <clears throat> as Christians, we must be careful to see what the kingdom of heaven is really like in this present age. Jesus makes it very plain that it's almost going to feel like evil has overrun the good. It's destroyed the good field. It's destroyed the good wheat. It's it's messing with the harvest. It's messing with God's purpose. It's going to feel like things are not lined up right, like things are out of control. Do you ever feel like that? Yes, yes, we do. We do feel like that. But God is reminding us of this truth, that he is in control. And God is reminding us that his kingdom reigns and rules over all, that this is part of his plan. And so we should be careful as Christians to see what is God's kingdom like now on this earth and what is our role in it? God's kingdom right now is not a political kingdom. It is not a, a reigning, physical, ruling kingdom. It is not that the church should rise to authority and outlaw certain things that are evil or vanquish those that do not believe. Here's the, here's the absolute truth, if you, if you want it this morning. The church, the, I'll use that term broadly, the church people that say they believe in God and Christians have tried to do that several times in the last 2,000 years. It's never gone well. It's never gone well. The Inquisition was done by people saying, we're going to rule and reign for God. We're going to set up this religious, spiritual, socio-political kingdom, and they killed real believers in doing so. I mean, can you get a more clear... What did Jesus say in the parable? No, no, no. Don't try to pull out the, the weeds because in doing so you're going to destroy the wheat. And literally, at that point, the Roman Catholic Church kills Christians trying to pull up and root out weeds in this world. You, you think about all sorts of other different... We, we go through explanation after explanation of uh, different times, the, the, the crusades that went back and forth. And when 
uh, Spain went back to as a nation to in the mid-1400s, I believe it was, late 1400s, and they kind of tried to become a Christian nation. They tried to drive out um, Muslims that were there and uh, agnostics and different things that were there. It became extremely violent. And then you have the Crusades in which people that said they were Christians go and they murder ruthlessly and take and overcome. And, and in fact, in one town, I can't remember the name of the town, there's one point in the Crusades in which they went in and trampled killed 3,000 Jews, all in the name of, we're going to reign for Christ. No, Christ will reign for himself. He will do exactly what he needs to do. Our job here, and it's, and it's hidden, it's delicately hidden there. Notice, if you would, let's finish in the passage. He says, no, no, he says, lest while you gather the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Why is Jesus delaying? Because he is letting his harvest grow to its full potential. What does that mean? More believers. More people. And while, yes, that also means more weeds, Jesus says, leave it. Leave it alone. I'm going to come at the end of the age. And the longer I wait, the more people that will be redeemed. The longer I delay, the more people there will be present in the presence of God throughout heaven and a new earth to declare His glory forever. Imagine if Jesus would have right then established, let's vanquish all those that do not believe, keep those that do. You'd have a couple hundred people that went to heaven at that point, at this point, and maybe a couple thousand people. But now we're talking millions and billions of worshipers of God for eternity. Jesus' picture of the kingdom is way bigger than the apostles or yours or mine or humankind. He has so much more in view than we could ever understand. And so we must be careful how we view the kingdom. We must learn that when we go, we go to Christ, when we're baffled by the questions or circumstances of life, that Christians, as Christians we should live and minister in light of God's judgment in the final place of God's kingdom. Because notice what he says in verse 41. There's going to come an end, and at the end, the Son of Man shall send forth His angels. They're going to gather out of His kingdom the th all the things that offend and then which do iniquity, cast into a furnace. Notice it says there should be wailing, meaning uncontrolled yelling and gnashing of teeth. What is He telling? There is going to be a time in which unbelievers are separated into fiery judgment. But here's the glorious part of this parable of the and of the Gospel of Matthew and of the Scripture itself. Because in the world, you know, they plant over here across the street. And they plant soybeans. And sometimes they plant corn. You know, when they plant those soybeans, uh, I think it was soybeans last year. Yeah, so they planted soybeans in there last year. As those soybeans were growing up, I did, not one time did any of those soybean plants all of a sudden miraculously change to corn. Like it never happened. There's weeds that grow all along the side of it. We have to, that's the one part we have to go cut grass across the street. The property that we own, we cut the kind of the edge of the street near the crop. Not one time does the grass or the weeds that are over there ever look at the soybean and say, you know what, we want to be a crop too. And they change from Virginia crabgrass to beautiful soybean plants. It never happens. But in God's kingdom, here is his invitation. There are weeds and there are fruitful ones. And he invites those that are weeds, that are facing destruction, that are facing God's judgment, and he says, in mercy, you can come and you can be a part of the kingdom too. And so in his delay, we feel like the longer Jesus waits, 
the more weeds there will be. And yet the opposite is true as well. The longer Jesus waits, the more weeds will be redeemed. And so he's teaching his disciples, you may want to reign and rule right now, but mercy and grace is greater than your power and strength. And he finishes with this, that there's believers and unbelievers. Notice the last phrase. He who hath ears, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Every time Jesus says this, he's telling his disciples, he says it all throughout Scripture. He's saying, hear, understand, and act on this. What do the disciples have to act on? That they should live and minister in light of God's coming judgment and the final place of God's kingdom. That it doesn't have to be, we don't have to be jealous of what's going on in the world. We don't have to try to prove our point or try to make our place. Because God has said, they will rule and reign with me forever. That's a beautiful promise. It may sound absurd. And sometimes we want, well, what about right now? And Jesus over and over in every parable says, it's not just about right now. And sometimes as Christians, we feel like, I just sound like the most foolish person when I talk to the world, the coming into the age. What do you think Jesus sounded like, even to his own apostles? And yet he is telling them, follow, if you have ears, hear, hear this, understand it, and apply it. That there's coming a day when unbelievers will be separated and righteousness, those that believe, those that are found righteous in Christ through the gospel will shine like the sun in their kingdom with their father. And so as we enter into a new year, here is God's promise to us that regardless of what we see or the circumstances that we experience, his promise is that he will make all things new. He will make all things right. Until that time, we are invited in grace to come to him. And so is everyone else. And so while we wait, we, you know, we sometimes read this, well, we're going to be the harvesters. When Jesus comes at the end, we're going to be able to show who's right. You know, we're going to go out and you know, snip the crop or whatever we're going to do. Notice he says the angels are going to come. That is not to us. It's not up to us to determine who is saved and who is not. It's not up to us to say this person's a good believer, a bad believer, or an unbeliever. He says, that's not to you. You follow your king now because he is reigning. You follow your king right now because he is just as in control in this moment, though you don't see it. He's as in control in this moment as he is when everything is gathered into the harvest. And so we live that way. We trust that regardless of circumstance, Jesus is in control and regardless of what's going on around us, God is telling us everyone has hope until the last moment. And so we go and we tell in this, in this coming year, may we also take heed of what God is teaching of his kingdom, that though it seems small, it is strong. Though it seems insignificant, it is the gospel is permeating the earth. And though we look out and we see things growing in God's kingdom we don't think will be there, should be there, that God ultimately has set this forth for grace and forgiveness. And we share that message with those around us. Lord, we are thankful for your word this morning. And we ask you that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would teach us and grow us. <coughs> As we've walked through the book of Matthew in the last few months and we come to yet another passage and where you tell us 
things aren't always as we think they should be. And things are not always as they seem. And so we ask that you would give us faith to trust you. That though we do not understand, things are not always as they seem. And things, though they are not what we think they should be, they are exactly as you have planned and intended. That things are not out of your control. That though we are in your kingdom in an age of mystery right now, that there is coming an age of glory and of light and of rule and of reign. And so we ask that in these moments that you have given us, in these days that we live here on this earth, that we would not live with apathy or distraction or complaint or frustration, but that we would live with faith and trust in the beauty of your eternal plan. The disciples were distracted and frustrated by how you were working. May we not do the same. May we turn to you and trust, follow you ruthlessly, relentlessly, filled with your spirit, guided by your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. If you would stand as we sing a verse of invitation, same song we sang a little earlier, his robes for mine, and singing of the grace and the mercy of God. And as we do, thinking of God's kingdom and his plan and his purpose for our lives. Let's sing together. His robes for my for Christ alone. I hope you've been encouraged by God's word this morning. Aren't you glad that his word is true? And aren't you glad that his way is better than ours? And so we come to his word humbly. You know, this is one of those passages, I say it every now and then, this is, this is a good reason why we try to go verse by verse through whatever book we're studying. Because there's a lot of mornings that I, I there's most mornings in my life as a pastor, preacher, I'm not going to get up, read Matthew 13, think this is what I want to go speak on this Sunday. This is not going to happen. And yet, God uses his word to encourage us, to encourage us that he will rule and reign, that his kingdom is advancing whether we see it or not. And so we don't sit back and wait, but we serve and we worship and we work with him in the time that he's given us, knowing and trusting that if we follow him, his word remains true. I hope that you'll be encouraged today. Again, no evening um, adult classes or, or kids' classes today <clears throat> with the holiday, and uh, maybe you'll be able to get a little extra nap. Some of you, there's two different people in this room that stayed up till midnight last night. Some of you are extra nap people, and some of you are extra coffee people. Uh, I'm, I'm not a nap person, so I'm an extra coffee person, I guess, or whatever it is that you need to stay awake. But I hope that you'll enjoy your day with family and spend some time in prayer and God's Word together, even as a family this evening. And we're thankful for that. Philip, would you close in prayer and we'll be dismissed?